welcome to Inside Jobs, the podcast for people who work in and around in-house agencies and hosted by me, Robert Barclay. Listeners to Inside Jobs know that I speak to creative leaders and find out what got them to where they are and what drives them. Subscribers to the podcast are also measurably more intelligent and good-looking than the rest of the population, so make sure you hit that subscribe button now for an easy win. Inside Jobs is brought to you by IHAF, the in-house agency forum, and content production agency Express KCS, who turn agencies' creative ideas into reality, right across video, digital, and print, every day and around the clock. Today's guest is Teresa Hurd, whose agency Inside Intel has been much in the news of late due to the recent announcement to downsize. This is in response to a change in Intel's marketing focus away from consumers and towards business customers. My interview with Teresa was fascinating. She described how you can journey from run-of-the-mill cadaver illustration to being noted as one of the top 50 most creative minds in the world. Along the way, we find out whether or not it's a good idea to bring a six-pound zucchini to an interview and how a magazine cover can be the inspiration for one of the most famous campaigns in recent history. Teresa, I've got to ask you, was it a rocky road to becoming VP Global Creative Director at Intel Corporation? It actually was relatively smooth. It wasn't purposeful, but it was smooth. So take us back. I know you were at Rochester, but take us back before you were at, uh, at the Rochester Institute. And, oh, my goodness. Uh, all the way back. Yeah, all the way back. Only a couple of years, yeah. Teresa. Uh, <laughs> a couple more than I'd, than I'd like to admit. Um, I, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. Ah. And so, um, you know, that was, uh, that was drilled into me. And uh, I thought I did too. Like when someone tells you yeah. something enough times, you kind of start to believe it. And, That's uh, the and golden rule of marketing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, it works yeah. actually. Well, yeah, almost. Yeah. I mean, it didn't quite work for her, but it worked <laughs> for me. Um, I was in uh, high school actually and uh, really loved arts and, and did well in science too. Uh, and I had a very uh, influential art teacher. Uh, I was in advanced art and yeah. uh, gosh, maybe a junior year. And there was a parent-teacher conference, and uh, my art teacher told my parents that she didn't think that I uh, would be a good doctor. Huh. And uh, my mother was just like, "Don't ruin this for us now. We, we're just we're on the press of it." I applied to all my colleges, and you know, she was like, "We." I it was like one foot in, uh, you know, in my residency in her mind. Yeah. And um, my art teacher said, "No, not that she can't be one, but she's so good at the arts, and I I just can't imagine her, you know, being a being a doctor. You know, have you considered art?" And my mother just like the blood drained from her, and you know, how she, old were you when when this conversation took place? Uh, 17. 17, and, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, go, you know, applying to colleges and stuff. And, yeah. um, I, and, I, and I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of do really like art. And my mom was just like, yeah, but the doctor, and we're going to be a doctor, right? And so I actually had a really great guidance counselor who said, what about medical illustration? Have you ever considered that? And, you know, when you grow up in a small town, which I did in upstate Yeah, where, where, where are you from? Sorry? Uh, upstate New York, a tiny uh -huh. town called Hurley. Mm -hmm. which is um, a, a suburb of the metropolis of Kingston, New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, 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 the, the career choices that you were kind of aware of were, were those things that your parents were or your friend's parents were. So I'd never heard yeah. of a medical illustrator. 
And he said, you know, you should you should consider this. And so I looked into it, and it kind of it really combined art and science, uh, the two things that I loved. And I uh, went and found a couple colleges. There are only a couple in the U.S. that offered a program. Um, one was uh, RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. So I remember in the late 80s going to see a client in the Tottenham Court Road in London, and they were a medical publisher, and I was putting in a DTP system. <laughs> and, and what I didn't know is when I found out, when I got there, was that their books were visual diagnosis guides. Mm. And I, I was thumbing through one of these, and I literally fainted. Yeah, they're quite gross. It was quite an intense experience, and I then had to ask a colleague to step in and finish the installation because <laughs> I couldn't quite hack it anymore. Uh, so, so you were already interested in those kind of gross things, and so oh, I uh, love those so things. Rochester, yeah, I love those this things. was your objective then, illustrating organs. It was, it, it was, were. yeah. So I, I went to RIT. You know, the program was run out of RIT, but then they had a sort of um, a deal with University of Rochester Medical School, where we dissected our cadavers and went and 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 oh. uh, witnessed surgeries and drew, you know, wow. drew drew all the stuff that we were seeing minus the the bloody parts so you could actually make out what was happening there so and you you had the stomach for all this and you enjoyed all this yeah i loved it i um mm. i i i would not have fainted in you know in your situation um <laughs> you and uh, you know still to still to this day like i i you know I'm, i i sometimes have a little eye for the abnormal which uh uh not a lot of people do but <laughs> i like a good anomaly Okay, that's good to know. That's uh, that's yes. Okay, well, I won't go down that path. So you were there. You were uh, sketching cadavers, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so so. How, I'm really curious now because that seems like a complete <laughs> tangent in your career. So you were studying furiously yeah. and tr- trying to trying to square a circle of medicine and uh, and, and and creative. Art, yeah, yeah. How did how did you do? How did you go from there? Okay, so a huge life lesson and and one that I I carry with me all the time and and in particularly uh, now uh, as I sort of approach a new uh, a new opportunity um, I so <laughs> my roommate in college uh, she invited me to go to the beach in uh, Long Beach Island yeah. she said come my family's gonna we're, we're renting a house come meet me at the beach and I was, I, I, you know, I like the beach, so I went and I pull up to this huge house, this like big, huge Victorian, and I get out of the car, and this woman from the front porch yells, "You must be T," and which is my nickname, Mimi, who called me from the porch, um, and I really hit it off, and she, she, her husband John was there, and they had friends who were um, running a small medical uh, and pharmaceutical advertising agency. And um, I went, during college, I went to New Jersey and met these people and they decided to hire me right out of college. And so I had a job leaving college, which was um, super exciting. So, you know, this whole life and and sort of trajectory uh, happened because I went to the beach and um, had a couple conversations with people. So I- And that pivoted you to the agency and marketing yeah, world exactly so I always tell people I always tell kids especially like 
that you never know where a job is going to come from. If you're standing mm-hmm. in the coffee line, be curious. Talk to the people around you. If you're sitting on an airplane, don't necessarily just put your headphones on and and tune out. Like the the person you're sitting next to may actually be your your you know next connection to a bo- uh, to a job or your next boss. Take so, us quickly to to what happened after there for you know the next few hops of your career. Yeah, so I, I actually stayed in in pharmaceuticals for a bit. Um, because I was in Jersey, and uh, that's where all the big pharmaceutical companies are, right. and I had this kind of you know special skill where I could really kind of understand super technical medical things and break them down into consumable um, information for patients or. So were you humans. copywriting as well then? Were you doing a bit of everything at this point? No, I was I was really a, uh, you know, they gave me the, gosh, I wonder what my first title was. I think it was art director, which I didn't even, I don't think I knew what that was exactly. <laughs> and I remember I had to do a newsletter for, for them and um, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't, how, I didn't know about type. And I had a friend of mine who was a, a graphic designer, <laughs> Beth. And I called her. I'm like, all right, what do I do next? And she's like talking me through how to cut ruby lith and all this stuff. And yeah. But anyway, so I, I faked it well enough. And um, I, you know, took my next job in, a, in another pharmaceutical uh, advertising agency, which was one of the biggest, actually, at the time. It was called MED Communications. Um, yeah. And then they got bought by a consumer shop. And uh, a lot of the pharma folks left and for some reason, the the um, the president liked me, and I stayed on, and that's where I kind of learned my um, learned the trade. Like I learned TV, I learned radio, I learned all the other. And you learned this on the job, did you? I did. From the opportunities that opened up there, I and did. you said, I, "I can do that, and I can do this." And yeah, you know, it start it started. I um I. <laughs> Again, another lesson I always tell people, I was a, you know, I was a farmer person and, and, you know, I think at the time and still people come from the pharmaceutical side uh, are not looked upon as super creative or can, you know, keep up with, you know, whatever creative needs are. I don't know why, but um, there's some of the smartest people who I've, who I've worked with, but um, I could make these, there were no like you know, there was like three computers or four computers. It wasn't a big, um, computers weren't, weren't big at the time. So we were still doing presentations, certainly not through a projector. So I could make these really elaborate um, presentation boards. I would like make them dimensional and I'd make all the stuff pop. And, you know, so I they would bring me in um, to help them with their pitch boards. And okay. I was junior and I'm like, sure, I'll do whatever. And then, you know, they would, they would bring me in and I would be in the meetings when they were talking about creative and I would just kind of start to speak up. And yeah. then I got, you know, like, who's she? What is she talking about? What does she know? And then, you know, it just, I kind of just positioned myself and, and put myself in places where things were happening and, and where, um, you know, I, I, I waited and I didn't just open my mouth all the time. But if I had something that I thought was was relevant or I thought could, um, you know, be beneficial to, to the pitch, I would just speak up. And so you gradually earned the respect and I support did, of the yeah. people, the senior people around you, I guess, who yeah. found that you, they, there was utility in having you there as well yep. because you'd make a positive contribution. So so did that give you the courage to step up and then take another job somewhere else then? I actually stayed there for a while um, because they, they, they were, the, the agency still around, it's called the Sawtooth Group, and they were getting... Um, you know, pretty pretty nice sized clients for for the area, and we had New Jersey Lottery, and we had a ho- you know, couple hotel uh, chains, we had Saranac Beer, um, and a couple other farmer things. So they they there was actually a, a um, 
a pretty nice diet of of um, work that was you know s smaller accounts for for big agencies but I was able to you know we were able to do you know TV and some some nice media for um, these clients um, at a rate that was probably a little bit less than than going to a big agency so was there any was there any kind of method in your approach or were you just no. sucking up experience yeah. and never information and no I know I've you know I've never had a goal <laughs> Haven't. <laughs> like I never, I never have had a career goal. I know everyone, you know, today with kids are like, you have to have a career goal. Yeah. I know what you want. Take the appropriate steps. And I, I firmly believe that is the wrong approach. I, unless you want to be like a surgeon. If you want to be a surgeon, you got to go to. You got to go to yeah. medical school, and you got to learn how to be a surgeon. You have to be really purposeful about so, that. So, so what is it that that, that drives your decision making when opportunities come up? Because I mean, you make the opportunities, of course, by simply being there yeah. at the right time at the right place. But you have to make decisions about it. What 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 is your what is what gives you the direction to choose this over that, or to move or not move? Then I think um, I think it's been the opportunities. I th you know I've I've through my career have um, been open to anything. Uh, you know, at this at the same time as doing that, there was a um, like a, a think tank ideation company they, that Sawtooth brought this bought this think tank, and um, we would go in and and do product development in these like crazy brainstorming sessions over like four days. It was like you'd go in, you'd brainstorm something, and then. Um, you know, you, you, the client would leave with like 20 new product ideas with, you know, written up and designed and everything. And, mm. and I Money loved well spent. it. Yeah, it was really, it was great at the time. It was, yeah. it was probably the most fun I've had. Um, really great team. And so, so again, you know, I, I was just taking on these opportunities. And then at the same time, I was moonlighting at night doing medical, <laughs> medical animations in the city. So I would work um, I would work all day, and then I would take the train into the city, and I would work with um, these editorial and animation houses to do uh, pharmaceutical animations. Like it's when 3D animation was really starting, and I would work until like three o'clock in the morning, and then I would go crash at a friend's apartment, get up in the morning, drive back to <laughs> to work. Why and, Why were you doing this to yourself? Because I, I mean, could. Was it just curiosity and, well, I was and young. enthusiasm? And yeah, I just could. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting and. So it wasn't um, the money. It wasn't that you had no. to earn the money or you were trying to raise a family or something no. like that. It was this was absolutely because you just were curious and interested and enjoyed it. Yeah, and I loved I like you know, the people who I was meeting, I was meeting, you know, at the time really great animators who were like doing cutting edge stuff and I had this knowledge of, of this, you know, of how drugs worked and stuff. And yeah. they, they needed that. And so we would just sit and, and animate all, you know, all kinds of, <laughs> all kinds of, you know, you know, how drugs interact in the brain or, you know, how to fight, you know, but high it, cholesterol. But it sounds like you were kind of hedging your bets as well by having these two related but very distinctly separate career paths at the same time. It I didn't think about it. It feel like you were I, hedging. I didn't think about that at all. At all. No, I was just... So you like, never thought, well, if this takes off no. or that doesn't take off, then I've got this. Or, no. you know, you weren't looking for opportunities in medical animation no. that could have taken you. You just took it as it came. I, yeah, I would <laughs> okay. just like, I'm like, hey, I would get a job. I would do, you know, I'd work really hard at, you know, whether it was at the agency or whether it was these... And yeah. then I would get the next thing. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll do, I'll do that. And then I would do that. And, you know, so it really just, I think, you know, I just like worked hard and did the thing. And, um, you know, from that, other opportunities arose. And, um, and so, so in terms of team building around then, did you have, did you, did you start to develop people around you or below you or respond that you were responsible for and, 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 and who start, had different I tasks and responsibilities? To, I started to, I think I was terrible at it. 
because um, I didn't know. I, you know, you you know when you're in advertising, you're not really trained to be a manager, right? So you're you're yeah, ex- yeah. You, you use your experience or those around you or what you see. As yeah. you know, as, as, and then you apply that, or or you say, "Oh God, I don't want to do that." But I don't think I was particularly good at it. Um, but I did, yeah, I did start managing people, um, and um, then you know, my time at Sawtooth was, uh, you know, I'd been there for for a while, and I decided that um, I was going to try freelancing. Hmm. And um, why was that? Why did I you decide that, that? I think that. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the opportunity at the agency and sort of where I could go, there were some, you know, senior leaders who were who were in there. And, and um, you know, I just, I didn't see the ability for me to continue to grow necessarily. Were you outgrowing it, do you think? I think Looking a little back? bit. I think a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, for me, it was just, it was a good time to go. And I'd been mm-hmm. there for a long time and I wanted to see... You know, so you I, went freelance rather than look to work for uh, a Saatchi and Saatchi or, 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 or a large independent agency. You chose to, to try freelancing because I that did. was the obvious, I, at that point, that seemed at, the at that, easiest and obvious yeah, thing to do? Yeah, at that point. And I, you know, I started to, um, and I think I probably would have taken an agency job. I, I wasn't, I didn't have a ton, ton of, con- you know, connections to agency yeah. jobs. And um, so I decided to, you know, I knew I could freelance, I knew I could um, get work. And so I was like, well, if this turns into something, then, um, you know, then I'll, then I'll explore that as well. But again, it was, <laughs> it wasn't super deliberate. <laughs> so I got to ask, how did you go from that freelance? So you'd worked at a small agency or yeah. relatively small agency, yeah. you'd then freelance for a year. And then your next job is at Staples as creative mm. director. Mm-hmm. How on earth did that happen? Well, I was AC. I was a, a associate creative director um, when I went to Staples. I think I don't remember. Um, I well, I you know I done but still, I done it quite was a well. Di- so very different world to to what you'd left yeah. behind. Yeah. So how did it yeah. come about in the first place? Uh, my Cobra was running out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My Cobra right. was running out, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. Panic. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, oh my God, what do I do? Gotta get a proper job. Yeah, yeah. So um, then I started interviewing at, at all of the places. And um, so you were scanning job ads or something? or what, what? Yeah, I had a headhunter and I was setting my portfolio yeah. around and doing all that stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the person who I was with at the time wanted to move to Boston. And I was like, all right, I'll move to Boston. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I set my book up there and, you know, I had a lot of, you know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't quite right for the position or the position mm. wasn't something I loved. Well, you so, presumably, given what you've just told me, had no idea what you wanted to do anyway. No, so you were just, you were no just saying, get me a job somewhere yeah, doing yeah, something. Yeah, get me a job doing advertising stuff. And, you know, I had a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, big fancy creative directors telling me that I was no good or not yeah, good enough. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. I remember I brought a, a giant zucchini to an interview I was a gardener. I still am an avid gardener. And I, I like kind of let this one plant go by accident. And I had like a six pound zucchini and I brought it up. I brought it to the, uh, to the interview. And I was like, well, you know, if the guy doesn't remember me for my work, he's definitely (laughs) going to remember the six pound zucchini. Like he could make a zucchini bread or something. I have to say that, yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a statement to make during the interview. Yeah. Uh, he's, I think he's probably, if, if I I doubt he'll hear this, but if he, if he did, he'd be like, I remember the zucchini girl. Um, 
Uh, but he told me I wasn't really good enough. And so I'm like, yeah, did you well, let him keep the zucchini? Of course I did. Um, How about you know, no, but it had a big, it had a big impact on me and I didn't believe him. Um, yeah. And years later, he came um, and wanted to get work at Staples. And I'm like, mm, I'm not sure you're good enough. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, so, so, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't having a tremendous amount of luck. And uh, my headhunter said, hey, uh, Staples is hiring. And I was like, mm, yeah, no, not going to do it. Not, gonna, yeah. not going in-house. And... So you uh, knew what it meant, an in-house agency, because I've spoken I to people who had never even come across them. No, until I didn't know they if I knew. Well, I just knew it was a client, and I didn't know what that meant, and I was like, "Ugh, yeah. no, no way." And she's like, "Well, what are you, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Nothing." She's like, "Well, why don't you just go meet these people?" And I was like, mm. "Fine." So I went up and met them, and it was, you know, a legitimate shop. Like they were hiring people from, uh, you know. Agencies in, in, in Boston, for sure, um, the Digitas. And this was Hill a new in-house agency they were creating? It was. It was. This so was they were like building it. There was ago. someone building it from the ground up. There was some, yeah. there was some mastermind was there who, yeah. who was called. Yeah, they're like, hey, this. we can probably you... save a bunch of money and, and do this thing in-house. Huh. And um, so I got there, and I was like, huh. So I freelanced there for a while. Um, I, I was like, mm. I don't want to commit to moving and all this stuff if it's not something... Um, that I that I really like, and you know they were doing good work and and real work, and so um, they offered me a job, and and I decided to take it, which was yeah. v- v- a very good decision um, on my part, which I I didn't know at the time because that's when the market crashed, uh, and that's yeah. when almost this every is agency, two thousand right, yeah, this is around 2000, almost yeah. every agency who I'd spoken to either was gone completely mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. laid off two hundred people. And, you know, I, so I would certainly have been probably caught up in that wave. And I was like, whoa. So yeah. just, <laughs> just, just step back a bit. Okay. So you'd come from small agency yeah. and you'd been freelance and yeah. you'd been used to being, you know, if you wanted something done, you'd do it yourself, most mm-hmm. likely. Or you you'd just go straight oh, to someone. Yeah. And you're moving to Staples, which was a corporation that mm-hmm. will have had, you know, processes and it will have had institutional kind yeah. of, shall we say, latencies. How on earth did you adapt to that from having spent 10 years in a, you know, kind of in a, in a much faster and looser environment? Because yeah. a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, right? well, they do. And, and everyone thought I would make it like, you know, six months or like there's no way you're yeah. going to. Because, you know, but I, I oddly like rules. Um, and if I don't like a rule, then I try and change it. But I'm not like a big rule breaker. Like oh. in the work, yes, but like sort of. I like a good system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I got in there and I'm like, oh, well, so they take care, you know, and coming from freelancing for, you know, a couple of years yeah. or it was, um, you know, you have to do a lot of stuff yourself. And, you have and to fix your own Mac ugh, and you have to find you, your own rulers. Yeah, and you, and you have, have to, to like bill people for your time, which yeah. I hated doing. And so, mm. um, I, you know, they had all this stuff where they had HR and they had, you know, accounts and payable mm. and process and I just didn't have to worry about any of that stuff and you you actually you know if you can be okay with that it allows you to just focus on the work um and not worry about some of that stuff that you you sometimes do worry about when you're working on an agency or certainly certainly working for yourself and Mm -hmm. I liked that I was like oh man so I don't have to worry about any of that and you know there was 
people to fix your tech and people, you know, yeah. if you needed something, you could just get it. But so you really, you really got on with that. Yeah, quite, yeah. quite well. You, you accommodated that extremely well. So you were watching this agency be built from the ground up and around you, I guess. And you mm -hmm. were a relatively, well, I don't know about junior. You were, what did you say? Yeah, you started was like this? ACD. Yeah, yeah. So you, you saw this all coming up around you. Presumably that was a, a lesson in itself for you. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. You know, I, and, and certainly something I carried with me to to next jobs so, um, so it was a positive experience it was done well you think and it was done effectively i mean would you have um, done anything differently looking oh back God. with all the experience in hindsight oh for sure for sure like what i don't know <laughs> but it just seems like i would <laughs> there's me trying to ask probing questions <laughs> right, okay yeah, yeah. um i have to think about that for a second I've, i yeah. i uh gosh i yeah there's again i was still junior i hadn't managed a lot of people i learned a lot about management there and i think really learned that oh wait just because you're a boss doesn't mean that people have to get used to you you have to adapt your style and i think that's kind of the biggest lesson i learned there that everyone is different and people who you manage need different approaches and i didn't know that um so you know you, you have a team of however many people reporting to you one approach doesn't fit. Yes. But come on, back to Staples. I want to know what yeah. happened yeah. in the latter years at Staples then. Uh, and, uh, then how that um, transitioned we were, to Intel. Yeah, we were all... So um, the we were all this... All the office guys were the same. There's Depot, Max, and Staples, and no one knew yeah. the difference between them. And um, the, the woman who was running marketing at the time said, we need, you know, we need a campaign. And... and um, we had a RFP for for an agency to come in and, you know, pitches. So all these ideas. And we'd narrowed it down to one agency, I think because we like the people. Um, and it was a very good fit for us. And they were very collaborative. Mm -hmm. But the the work they showed, I was just looking at it. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, I don't think this is this is going <laughs> to work. They had mm -hmm. these two campaigns. And I was like, ugh. And then they had this little red button. Um on a board and it had Linotronic yeah. type on it and it said easy. And it was, I, I went to their offices afterwards and it was actually one of the plungers you used to open the doors to get into their office. And it said easy on it. And, and I was like, what's that? And they're like, well, it's this easy button idea. We're not really sure if it has legs or not. And um, I just remember talking to uh, to my, my boss at the time. I was like, that's, that's the idea. That, that is that is what yeah. you know it can go because we had to, we were doing circulars and emails and they wanted to do tv commercials and content and um you know the other ideas i just didn't think would have as much longevity and and so this this was an intuition from your point yeah of view? This it was, was right this wasn't it wasn't you didn't want to put this out to to market research we did we did groups. we did we did so and you did base so so initially you picked up on it because intuitively it felt right intuitively intuitively yeah. it felt right but but in the end you would test that before you let let you know kind of put resources yeah, behind it. it was. So so now take us towards the end of your career at Staples then and how that transitioned. Yeah, you know, um, I had built a great team. Um, I was then VP uh, Global Creative Director, which global was questionable. I mean, we had some presence yeah. in in the UK and Europe, but that was about yeah. it. But uh, nonetheless. Uh, you know, we were at the time 160 some, something like that, and doing literally everything in house except for broadcast. But I, that is also where I 
made really good relationships with external agency partners mm-hmm. and um, knew that the success of the business was um, incumbent upon those relationships being good and it not being a, a, uh, a you know, a tug of war over the work and would only work with agencies who also believed that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's something that, that we can all learn from today because I think as internal agencies grow, there is this big debate over, you know, should work go in or shouldn't it? And it's like, mm-hmm. look, it, mm-hmm. it's probably a little bit of both. Figure out what's right for the brand. Um, and that's when when Steve Fund um, was in there and he was head of, of uh, marketing and um I was getting restless and I was like, look, I just, I just don't, I don't think I can stay. And he's like, look, he's like, just, we need to relaunch the brand. Um, you know, the, this easy thing, we should keep the easy button, but people just kind of aren't buying it. And we're, we're going in this different direction. And I was like, I really want to go. Hmm. And he's like, give me one more year. So I was like, fine. So I gave him one more year. We re- relaunched the brand and I, at, I said, but one more year and that's it. So it was one more year. And I said, look, I think I, now is I'm, I'm going, but for real. And he said, I, I'm talking to Intel. Would you, if I get this job, will you come with me? And I was like, sure. <laughs> if you get the job, I'll come with you. But, you know, it was a huge job. Like, And I love Steve, and he's super smart. He's one of the best marketers that I know. But I wasn't convinced, I don't think he was either, that he was actually going to get the job. And so yeah. he got the job. And he, I remember I was in Florida at the time on, on holiday, and he called me. He's like, I got the job. And I was like, oh, my God, I told him I'd go with him. So I, I turned to my wife, and I said, well, you, em, Emily, we're yeah. moving to California. Right. So you moved over there, and kind of everyone around you, family around you, and uh, and you're getting stuck into the new job at Intel with obviously a big mandate, right, and a clear, yeah. and a clear um, target, a clear goal. Yeah. What was that goal? It was to um, kind of let people know what Intel did and change brand perception. Um, the you know when I got here, Steve said, you know, I need you to. <laughs> I'm like, what do you need me to do? What are my top three things? He's like, well, I need you to relaunch the brand. I was like, oh, okay. I need you to, uh, and I need you to bring all the work in house. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. I was like, how long do I have to do this? He's like, we need to do it right away. So. I said, can can we not bring all the work in house? Can I just can you give me two minutes to to get why, my so just why was he saying bearings? move the work in house? I mean, he had an objective which was to which was to rebrand or to do the to work on the brand and 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 raise the profile of the branding. But the way in which you do that, yeah. he already knew he wanted to do it by bringing more work in house. I, I, I no, there were two separate things because bringing the work in house is, is was sort of a money savings and quality thing, and then relaunching mm-hmm. the brand he knew he had to do. Yeah. Um, and so I said, give me a give me a minute to figure this business out. Um, I didn't even understand what people were saying with their acronyms mm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't I don't even know where the money's being spent. I don't know, you know, let before we before we rush to bring it in, let's see let's see what makes sense. And at the same time, we were you know we we put the the business up uh, for RFP, and we needed a bridge campaign, like we needed a Q4 campaign. And uh, the agency that we were working with at the time was struggling with a little bit. And so I went to McGarry, who had become the agency of record at Staples, and I knew them quite well. And I was like, mm-hmm. and they were also in the pitch. I was like, look, guys, I need some help on this campaign. Mm-hmm. Can you can you do some scripts for me? And they did. And we kind of landed in one direction, and they had cast a different 
they had cast a, um, a high-profile actor to be the lead in it, and, and I, didn't, I didn't think that they were quite right, given who our demographic was. We're trying to reach younger people, millennials, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I don't think he's right. And we brainstormed. We, we wrote all these names up on the board, and it could be this one and this one. And I was literally walking out of the agency, and there was an Adweek magazine on, on a stand, and it's, it said, um, America's Most Lovable Nerd, and it was a picture of Jim Parsons. And I picked it up, and I handed mm -hmm. it to Marianne, and I said, go get him. And she's like, seriously? I said, yeah, he's the guy. I was like, we're the nerdiest company on the planet, like he's the most lovable nerd, like it's perfect. Mm. And it was supposed to be a one quarter campaign and it ended up being so successful for for Intel that we you know, still use him uh, to this day. So he, you know, I, I think for me making that initial decision uh, and, and having a, such a good impact on, on the business gave me credibility beyond just being, oh, that's the one Steve Fun brought in, which I got a lot of in, in the beginning. And uh, I remember pitching it to the president, and I was like, you know, this is a campaign, and we want to work with Jim Parsons. And she was like, Sheldon? I was like, yeah, Sheldon. And she's like, can you get him? And I was like, y yeah, you can you can get him. We're Intel. Like, of course you can get him. And um, she, you know, it was just so, it was that moment. I was like, oh, my God, these people don't know what they're sitting on. Like, they they had were so focused on manufacturing, which is great, and they make a great product, but they didn't realize, I think, um, the potential for the company. And, you know, Steve and I looked around initially and just discovered all these things that Intel had been a part of or were going to, you know, were, were go how they were going to impact the world in the future. And we just looked at each other. I'm like, we just have to tell people this. We don't have to. So it make sounds like so sounds like you didn't know a lot about Intel when no, you started. No, I didn't and ask it enough sounds questions. Like, yeah. But it sounds like the, the the fact you had no assumptions and the fact that you 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 had no sort of prejudging about Intel meant that you were wide open to finding things that were exciting and interesting that you could leverage for the purpose of of marketing and publicity that maybe would have been missed by someone who who knew all about Intel, huh? Yeah, I, I think you actually just hit the nail on the head about my whole life and career. I feel <laughs> well, like just, just knowing no, nothing helps you. <laughs> no, it's no, no, no. It's, it's certainly been my true. strategy. Yeah, no. I think when people, again, unless you're going to be a surgeon, when people, when people have a really determined plan, like I want to, you know, I meet people, I want to be a VP, or I want to, I, I'm like, well, how, I don't know. But the, if you, if you're so focused on something that that may or may not happen, you may be cutting yourself off from all these other opportunities. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I'd gone in and be like, all right, we're going to position Intel as this, I may not have been open to the, you know, the, mm. the just abundance of amazing stories that were out there um, and, and needed to be told. And that really changed how people perceived Intel. So I think, I think staying open-minded you know, whether it's around your career or when you're looking at work to to not go in with the predetermined, like, this is what we're going to do and and really, truly listen to people who are experts and people who may have a different point of view or opinion. And you will learn a ton and, and it will hopefully lead you to um lead you to a right answer. So so here we are at, at Intel. There have been a lot of changes there. It was a leading light for in-house agencies. You developed a lot. They were very customer-facing in terms of the marketing. And there's been a switch recently, hasn't there, towards yeah. more B uh, B2B, which has had a knock-on effect on the agency that you built over the past four mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been amazing. We... Um, because of the type of storytelling we wanted to do and and what the impact that it was having on the brand um you know we mm. we went from a stagnant um 
you know, brand metrics across the board and a, a stagnant uh, stock price to, you know, three of our highest performing years ever. Stock price at all time high. All the brand metrics are, you know, are, are up. And, and Steve, you know, he, he used to say, you know, it, there's, there's few companies where the, um, the brand is in decline, yet the company mm. continues to do well. He always says, you know, where the brand goes, the company will also go. And, and it was so true. I'm certainly not going to take credit for uh, the success of the business, but I, th- I definitely think it was a part of it. And you built a, an amazing team as well, I know, and uh, who seem to, uh, from what I hear, have a huge <laughs> amount of respect for what you've done and be very inspired by what you've done. Uh, you were I think, uh, did I age say you were one of the 50 most creative people in the business? Yeah, as well, I was on a list with, um, not in the industry, like, I think, like, in the world. I was on a list with Prince and David Bowie. It was the year that they, unfortunately, both passed, and Beyonce. And you survived them. So, yeah. so in fact, well, I was a little with nervous. them out of the yeah, way. I was a little nervous. I was like, is this what <laughs> well, this list you've got them out of the way, so yeah. that'll, that'll lift you yeah, up the list a little yeah, bit Yeah, at least a couple well. notches. Another right? two but, spots. But, uh, you're, you know, you're not knocking them off, are you, no, along the way? It's not your way to get to number one by... Gradually, oh, and Alec, yeah. Alec Baldwin for his uh, Trump impersonation. I was like, wow, um, what a list. <laughs> I was humbled, uh, to say the least, to be included on this list, but um, also super proud. And the agency won um, Internal Agency of the Year in 2017 after yeah. we'd only had our doors open for about a year and a half. So just, you know, amazing. And, and I think part of that was also the, the laser focus on culture. So, you, you know, you asked me, would I do anything different um, yeah. at, at previous jobs? I think... Culture is something that we often pay attention to when things are going bad. You know, it's like, oh, we lost a huge piece of business or, oh, morale's at an all-time low. Let's look at our values. And I decided not to do that. I I was really, really purposeful about saying, hey, we're going to, we're going to build that first um, as soon as I had enough people to actually build it. Um, yeah. And we're going to act, we're going to make it actionable so people know what it looks like. And um, well, you said you said um, recently that you wanted to build a culture of people who supported each other. And I'm mm. really curious how you go about doing that. I don't I, I, I that's that actually I didn't that I didn't set out for that to be my goal. I, I had a really clear mission, which was to build, um, you know, world class work. Uh, that performed for the business at a cost lower than external agencies. And and that was for the agency. I'm, so I'm responsible for all creative for Intel globally. Um, the internal agency is a part of that. So I still work with, you know, external agencies. Um, and it, you know, but the, the part that was internal you know, agency inside, um, we had to, we had to figure out how to make that mission come come to life mm-hmm. and in a in a fairly short amount of time and so you know we took that mission and then we really looked at like oh what are the values that would allow for that to happen you know laser focus on you know customer service and the service of great work uh sustainable high performance lifestyle because i have these people going all over the world doing crazy things and you know, from the north pole to uh you know Kenya, to, I mean, literally all over the world shooting these stories, I needed to make sure that they were well. Um, so we came up with 10 values, but then we also came up with what the what the behavioral norms were within those values. So what so did it are you recruiting like? people to, the, you're looking to see whether you can kind of tick all the boxes on that list, or are you no. recruiting people and then encouraging them to, to perform and behave in a certain manner? Because it's very hard to change people's values, right? I didn't have, I didn't have room for people to be complacent or, or, or complain or, you know, so I was like, look, if, you know, if we're going to be successful at this thing, we all have to 
go above and beyond and do things that are going to impact how we work and how we make that mission, um, you know, come true. And so, it, you know, none of the things were like, you know, <laughs> they weren't weird. They were, you know, they were, they were all came from a good place. So it wasn't, mm. you know, it, it was, it just gave us guardrails on how we treated mm. each other, um, what success looked like, um, you know, you know, quality of work, you know, focus on quality of work and creative innovation, like constantly learning and learning, you know, not just learning the advertising industry and what the trends were, but also, you know, making sure we understood the technology because that was a huge mm. advantage for us. Like we're so mm. close to the business. We don't know it better than anybody else Then yeah. you know, shame on us. So it was those types of things, but really boiling it down to actual behaviors that people could say, oh, I can do that or I know what that means. I think a lot of times companies have values and you're like, so what exactly does, does that, you know, what does high quality customer service actually mean? And so we would break it down so people could mm. understand, you know, all of the values. So if you weren't working at Intel, um, what kind of business would you want to work at if Intel wasn't an option and uh, you, know, you, you were looking around and you worked for whoever you wanted or whatever kind of business you want? Where would you like to go next, Teresa? That's a, that's a great question. I, um, like, so other than owning a cheese shop, so like if I were to stay in the industry or if I were to like... I, I, I will be customer number one if you own a cheese shop, although although European cheeses in America are fearfully expensive. Uh, so. I know. I got my cheese master's license at um, BU because I really thought I was going to open a cheese shop before I took this oh. job. I didn't include that in my transition yet. Between Staples and Intel, there was a cheese shop uh, uh, yeah, option there, you didn't but mention here that. I am. No, you didn't mention I didn't. that. Yeah. Um, but I, so, I, you know, people ask me all the time, like, who do you want to work with next? I've been super fortunate. I've literally, you know, if we wanted to work with someone, we got to the point where we could, you know, either they were calling us or we could we could kind of yeah. call them and be like, hey, Tom Brady, you, you want to do a thing with us? And he was like, sure. <laughs> oh, yes, he hey, did something with hey, Tom Hey, LeBron, Brady. how are you? you, know, you to, so, <laughs> Teresa here. <laughs> Hi. Oh, oh, my name came up? Oh, yeah, okay. I remember me on that list. Um, you know, so that was great. But that you know yeah, and it's I was nice above you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i was i was like 47 and i think you <laughs> but um you know, it, it, so for me, it's not about that at all. Like I, w while it's been great and, you know, working with celebrities, you, you work at, at such a level where you're like, you know, there's there's so high performance and they're, you know, usually really, you know, even though they don't come from the industry, focused on making sure they appear and, and come across as, as, as legitimate and, and credible mm -hmm. and, and wonderful. And so it's been wonderful being able to do that with, with people of that caliber. However, yeah. Um, for me, it has it. The thing that I love the most is is the storytelling and being able to create content that is real, that is authentic, like the Great Wall thing, um, that people are interested in and ha is impacting the world. So you want to be a filmmaker? I don't think I, you know. I I don't I don't think I want to be a filmmaker. I think I want to be someone who helps um, curate and and develop these stories for companies. Um, to, to impact their brand, uh, you know, so I, that's, that's the thing that I um, continue to love. And, um, I, you know, I've worked on these stories around the world in India mm. and in, in Japan in mm. China in you know, Tasmania in, you know, you name it, we, we've been there. Um, mm. And I just think there's so many more wonderful stories to tell, whether it's around technology or, or, or you know, but I, I think we need more goodness in the world. I think we need more positivity. Um, certainly today, I feel uh, uh, yeah. people are, are definitely 
not yeah. not super optimistic about the future. And I still think um, there's a lot of great things and people out there when you get out there and and actually talk to people. So, um, so when you're not uh, when you're not uh, being a creative director and focused on the work and and when you want downtime, what do you what do you do? Love movies. We um, in at least in the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> Tuesdays are movie days and you get discount movie tickets and Emily <laughs> really likes a deal. And so every Tuesday night we have a date to go see a movie regardless of whether it's it's uh, highly rated brilliant. or not. So and the fact we, you get a discount just just is the icing on the cake, yeah, isn't it? It's like six dollar movie tickets. It's just amazing. wait till you get over sixty. You'll be able to get another discount for simply being over sixty as well. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'll like be free. <laughs> I won't have to pay for a movie on exactly. Tuesday. Exactly. They need to go there. <laughs> Well, uh, Teresa, there's loads more I could have asked you and there's lots of stuff we've we've skimmed over, but I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Inside Jobs podcast. It's been a blast and I've learned a huge amount. Thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. 